Hey, MXU friends, Rusty here. All you audio guys and lighting guys that are struggling with LED wall issues, I feel your pain. I know that you're struggling. So let me give you some advice. Contact our friends at Row Visual, the best in the business when it comes to LED products and customer support. They pride themselves on being the elite creative LED manufacturer in the business with ultra high standards of quality and efficiency in every build they're involved with. The team over at Row go above and beyond by offering unmatched technical support and abundance of resources to help troubleshoot on-site issues that arise. Paired with their products and the intuitive design they offer, installation and maintenance do not have to be a daunting task any longer. Learn how you can tap into a more streamlined display experience by contacting Row today at 747-229-9190 or visiting their website at www.rowvisual.com. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 122 of the MXU Podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Lee Fields. And uh, I don't know. We're just excited to continue the conversation from last episode. Lee, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Good. I actually listened to the last episode to see if I agreed with myself. <laughs> and? I, don't, I don't listen to all of them, but I, I actually I, I said in the episode... I may change my mind again about this. I haven't changed my mind. It's just given me more things to think about, even hearing my my myself's opinions of this. Yeah. You know? It's really funny because yesterday I talked to Nick Kofal about the podcast because he had listened and he he didn't join us until halfway through. So we had already done our whole setup and done the whole, yeah. you know, pre the precursor to what we were talking about with him. And he said, Man, I wish I had heard the intro before I got on, because I would have had so much more to say. We probably could have talked for four hours. So yeah, <laughs> it's one of, it's one of those topics where it's like, man, I, I just want to help people get it right. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to assume that everybody is dysfunctional or that every team has major problems, but I do think that every team has work to do so that they don't fall into some of those traps. Yeah. For sure. And so I think the more we can encourage people around just healthy behavior, good team practices, and just clear and healthy vision for what they want their church to be and how that informs what they do, that's going to be the thing that 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 maintains a healthy expression of the church. Totally, for sure. And today I'm freaking stoked that we're gonna he's gonna be on here in just a few minutes, but uh, we have the senior pastor from one of the largest churches on the planet, Jim Bergen from Flat Iron, Flat Irons Church, with us today. So yeah, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Um, and you'll hear about he, he and I have a, a unique connection on this topic specifically that we'll get into a little bit, but it's pretty cool. But before yeah. that, let's. I do want to talk about um, some new content that dropped on the app. Yes, video teams. So yeah, for video folks, we've got videos about live switching. And I don't know much about that myself, so I'm excited that we didn't have to teach it. We had Rusty Anderson, our video guru, talk about switching, and it is great. Yeah, and he's joined by Jeremy from Ross. But whether you have Ross gear or you have Blackmagic gear, everything in these videos is gear agnostic. So it's about how to switch, how to set up a multi-view, how to cut cameras. It's all that kind of stuff. So. Pretty yeah. freaking stuff. In the same that. way that our audio videos about EQ aren't necessarily about a particular console, we just talk about EQ in general or compression in general. It's like these these concepts are great to know about and great to learn about, no matter what the tool is. So don't get caught up in the fact that they're using a particular piece of gear. Really approach it by how can I learn about philosophically what I think about when I'm switching live cameras. Speaking of that. Isn't it funny? Like the first batch of videos we made, you know, we used that SSL console because the screen is so big that right. it was an easy way to show what a compressor is and what the different parts of the compressor are doing and what is an EQ. Yeah. So many, I almost said hundreds, it's probably hundreds. So many people uh, ignored those videos because they thought, well, my X32, D Live, whatever, Personas, Mackie. It doesn't have that, so these videos right. don't apply to me. MXU only uses expensive gear, and I just was like, <laughs> I pulled out the remaining hairs in my head. 
Yeah, that's why you're bald right now. Right. But the problem is, you know, people who can't see beyond that are missing a huge opportunity to learn because, like you said, the reason we use that was because of the screen. So visually, it's a great representation of what we're doing. And when it meters the changes that we make in those cuts and boosts and gain reduction and all that, it's dramatic. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just, it looks like a huge cut, even though it's not because of the resolution of the screen. So especially at the time, you know, it was before the, it was before the quantum consoles were out with Digico. And yeah. so we, you know, nobody else had really an HD screen like that. And so we were able to use that. So I'm people, I don't know, people just need to be reminded. That's, that's the point. They do. It was our fault for not <laughs> edumacating them. That's right. Well, the other thing we need to talk about before Jim gets here is, I mean, we're only two weeks away from the end of early bird pricing for right. the MXU Live Tour. So yeah, July 31st, early bird prices end, prices going up on August 1. So uh, go steal your executive pastor's credit card. Tell them you're taking all your volunteers to go see MXU Live because you want your weekend services to be better immediately, if not sooner. Yes. I feel like... You know, every week on the podcast, we're just continuing to beat this dead horse. But if you don't bring your team, you're missing out. This is not an event to be experienced as a solo participant. No. We're taking everybody through the programming and the execution of a worship set from start to finish throughout the day. And so audio, video, lighting, worship teams, leadership, planning, producers, they all need to be with you in the room because I guarantee you that when you leave that day, your service that weekend will be better because of what you learned as a group. And if you can't afford it, you can actually trade gear for tickets. Yeah. Our friends at Church Gear are offering a special program where if you hit them up, send them the list of gear, they will then buy you a ticket to MXU Live and you bring the gear to the event and they'll be outside to take that gear and hand you your ticket. Yeah, so every $1,000 worth of gear that they buy they'll trade you that for a ticket to the event up to four tickets. So I think it's just an incredible opportunity It's awesome. to not only, not only bring your team to the event, but to put your used gear that's not being purposed right now to better use and that another church can really benefit and grow from. It's amazing. Yeah. What's it cost to go to the MXU live tour? A um, couple hundred bucks or five illegal wireless microphones. <laughs> that's right. Because we couldn't figure out how to ship them to our overseas missionaries, but Church Gear can. So let's just donate them to the cause and get MXU tickets in exchange. I think it's a brilliant plan. Everybody's got 10 SM58s laying around that they don't know what to do with. <laughs> That's right. Because they're certainly not going to put them on their bottom snares because they listen to you. No, those are $1,000 <laughs> Mojave <laughs> microphones. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well... Let's uh let's get to I think this is my most anticipated interview we've ever done. That's a bold statement. I think it is. 122 episodes and this is your one that you're most looking forward to. I think so. I all mean right. Chris Tomlin's cool and all but I don't know. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> that was a good good podcast. It was a good good podcast. <laughs> all right, let's get to it. All right, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, this thanks. Is a, this is a long time coming. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for the invitation. I'm honored. Uh, thanks for doing this. You're the first... Uh, Jeff, is this right? He's the first senior pastor on the podcast? Uh, yes, acting senior pastor. We had <laughs> we had Jeff Henderson on, who right. was a former senior pastor, uh-huh. great leadership coach and a good friend. But this is the first time we've had a like active running a church in the heat of the, the in the thick of it, senior pastor. So we're, at, at, we're the end really of, at the end of this, you might go like, and that's why we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> He's the last one, also. So uh, let's tell people how you and I met first. Oh uh, yeah, it, it um, was on a hunting trip. It was on a hunting trip. You and I are both addicted to Sitka gear, which is the best, right? But uh, yeah. no, we have a mutual friends down in Arizona, a guy behind bars, and a organization called stag which just takes leaders and pastors out and just spoils them and takes them on hunts and things like that and you were uh you were on that and i was on sabbatical and so i showed up kind of in a mess at that moment but yeah. uh but i was able to go out uh hunting and uh i think i carried i think i 
No, I have somebody. I, I thought I carried your 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 sheep off the mountain, but uh, no, your sheep almost carried me off the mountain. That's, That's what happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But you were shooting archery. This is one of your first archery hunts, and I was shooting yep. rifle. And uh, and we just had some great, great conversations around the table. It had nothing to do with hunting, but had to do with life and ministry and church and pain and uh, yeah, all, all the. All the fun parts of ministry, yeah. All the fun stuff, which is why you're on here, because yeah. we wanted to yeah. have a, a fun conversation fun. about uh, church and church culture, and mm. there's not many mega church pastors who would be willing to do this. Maybe maybe they would. We just didn't ask, but I knew, I knew you would. So I tell people that you're the most famous pastor that no one's ever heard of, <laughs> because you pastor a church of... I mean, pre-COVID is well into the 20,000s a weekend. So it's the biggest of biggest churches in the world. But you're not on TV. There's not tons of books at Barnes & Noble with your name on it. You're not, you're just not that type of guy. Right. And never have been and never had aspirations. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but right. talk about that. Like, What's it like being the mega church pastor that you do not fit a stereotype? Oh, well, refreshing to be one. Um, I think I, I would like to say that uh, I just, you know, Flatirons was my mission and, and, the, and the loss of broken people of Colorado and the hearts of men that, that just took all my, all my bandwidth and things like that. But I also, I come from a Bible belt, a Bible belt experience. Uh, I was raised in Indiana and then was to school in Tennessee and then did serve churches in Tennessee and, and Kentucky for, uh, 20 some years. And the idea of, of networking with other pastors and things like that was so foreign to me. I've kind of stuck to myself out here in Colorado. And I would, I would say because I, I, I would have earlier said something like I'm so, you know, engrossed in ministry here. I didn't have time for networking and things like that. But the, the truth is, I think a lot of it comes from insecurity. Uh, like I, I just don't want to get into those pastor meetings and things like that, where everything is a comparison and everything is a competition and everything is that. It's like, I just don't want any of that. Um, it was it wasn't even until recently in the last year that I realized how much I'd missed out. I had stuff to, I had so much to learn from other pastors and I also had some things I could offer, but pre-sabbatical and post-sabbatical are two different, different stories. And so, uh, I, I love the ministry here at Flatirons, uh, and it has been really very, very encompassing and it's been a, a ride. Uh, when I came here in 2006, uh, we had a couple thousand people in, in a strip mall. And it was just a disaster. You guys are tech heads. You would have just seen duct tape and and like stereo speaker <laughs> wire holding stuff together. You know, yeah. and sight lines were horrible. And then we started growing 20, 20, 25% a year until we went over that 20,000 mark in, in just no time. And now we're building buildings and, and having campuses and all that. And it was a roller coaster ride. And all that feels really, really, really good until it stops feeling good. And then it just feels like pressure. And that's that's when unhealth started setting, setting in. So, hmm. um, now like I'm, I'm in a cohort of, of mega church pastors and I hate that word, but that's the word people use, uh, out of Wheaton where, uh, I'm getting together with, uh, pastors of churches of similar size, of similar experience, of similar passions. And, uh, I just got back from Israel with a bunch of them. I'm getting ready to go back to Wheaton next week for a class, going to Oxford, uh, in December with them. And we're studying together and, and, the education is great, but the networking is is the best part about the cohort uh, and, and and rubbing shoulders with some of these guys. So um, I don't I don't want to be famous. <laughs> I I still don't want to be famous. I was at a I was at a a, um, a get together put on by Convoy of Hope down in Cabo a few months ago, and I'm in a tent with the premier preachers. I mean, Anzi's there, Craig Rochelle's there, anybody who's anybody is there, and. Uh, and I just, I remember looking around going, there was a day when I would have cut off a, a body part, a clean it up, right? I would have yeah. cut off a body, to, to be, to be in this room. And Robin woke up with vertigo one day and we decided to skip an event. She goes, no, 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 you, you really want to go. And I went, I really don't. I just want to sit here on this balcony and watch whales with you. And so I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to be famous and I don't want to be well known. I do. I think I have a good story right now that God has used a redemptive story that I feel a responsibility to share because I see so many pastors out there um, who are not going to be pastors very much longer unless something changes. That's, mm. that's very sad. Let's talk about that. You've mentioned sabbatical and, and then yeah. redemptive story that you want to share. So talk, yeah. talk to us about that journey. Yeah. Um, 
and two, so everybody talks about COVID being the worst, just the worst. And I was like, 2019 was worse. <laughs> you know, uh, I Memorial Day 2019, uh, the day after that, my elders sat me down and my lead team sat me down and said, you're unhealthy. Uh, we're going to put you on a six-month sabbatical. Uh, no contact with the church in counseling, no social media, no this, no that, no nothing. And uh, it felt like an intervention, uh, an episode of intervention. And none of those words have been said to me before, unhealthy or we're worried about you or toxic or n none of that. And it just hit me like a truck. Um, mm -hmm. I went on a six-month sabbatical. My first two months were just anger and bitterness. Uh, I built a dry stack wall. I'd just gotten back from uh, Scotland, and uh, and I built a dry stack wall. And you can look at it. It's about 100 yards long. The first third of it is like every stone that I've placed there is just just cursing and planning and rehearsing these <laughs> – these, the, when I get back, this, I'm going to march in their office and blah, 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 blah. So Wait till they hear my speech. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I've got land. I can bury bodies. I mean, I've, 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 I was really, and it, it was a descent. It definitely was a descent. Those middle two months, I started doing my work and realizing that there's so much brokenness and stuff in there. And, uh, and we can get to the learnings in that. But then those last two months were kind of a reentry in grace. So it's almost like a death, a, re a burial, and then a resurrection. And, wow. Uh, and the, the cool thing about it is that my elders, my leaders, not so much my staff, most of my staff is, over half my staff is gone and, and been replaced. Half my staff wasn't even a part of that, uh, just for a lot of different reasons. But my elders always, always said, this is so that you can come back. Um, and up to that point, sabbatical was code word for moving you towards the door, and then he just never came back. And that's what a lot of guys have experienced, and this was never that. This was never that. And so um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, but the more I share the story about it, the more connection I have with pastors that are going, I, I'm on the same trajectory. Um, my big takeaways from sabbatical uh, were, uh, one is this is not my church. It's not my identity. Uh, and it had become. my. You know, One of my counseling sessions was uh, kind of the dark side of leadership was I, I assumed everybody looked at me and said, we hit start, we, we hitched our wagon to the 22% growth a, a year guy, which is what you've been for the last 10 years. You took it from 2,000 mm. to 20,000, and now it's not. What's wrong with you? And I just, at the same time, I had a great teaching pastor, Scott Nickel, who really, and he, he got called away from this church to go somewhere else, and that just kind of hit my panic button and, but, uh, button, and I threw the whole place on my back and said, I got this and I'll show you, and it still didn't grow, and it still didn't like thrive like it, like it was, and I just got in a panic. Um, and so God reminded me that this is not my church, it's not my identity. Control is an illusion. I'm not in control of anything. I really am not, and the more I try to control it, um, which I, I'm, I control, try to control a lot, because I can look back and went, and this is really unhealthy, but this is my mindset at the time. I got us here. Just do what mm -hmm. I told you to do. And now I've got all these millennials who want to, millennials who want to collaborate on everything. I'm like, you haven't built crap in your life. Just <laughs> play the damn song, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I realized that like, when I, when I am the, you know, the buzzsaw or the battering ram with my creativity, it shuts everybody else's down. Uh, because there's an inequity of, of, of power there. And they basically they're going to defer to me until they leave or get frustrated, or they just shut down their creativity. But probably the biggest message is, because I'm probably five years away from retirement. That's what I'm thinking right now. Uh, and then I've got a lot of plans for ministry life after that. But as the lead pastor of this place, um, probably my biggest learning was, at the end of the day, it's Jesus and Robin. It's not Jesus and Robin and my job. It's not my kids or my children. It's not my friendships. It's not my career. It's not writing books. It's not the size of my church. It's me and Jesus and Robin. And I better invest in those. Uh, Robin being, is my wife, by the way. Uh, <laughs> see, because at the end of the day, and then it's just going to be me and Jesus. And so, but usually those are the two people that I always give the leftovers to and, uh, and, mm. and, and wrongly choose everybody else over them. Uh, even sometimes in the name of Jesus, but uh, when I came back here, I I have more. What's the right word? Uh, margin in my life. I'm I I control less. I do less, 
but what I do is more influential and I think more effective. Uh, I work off site more. I've entrusted my lead team. I've got a great XP, Jesse DeYoung. He's uh, amazing. He is amazing. Uh, I'm, on, I'm currently right now on a six-week. Part of my comeback was we, we got to keep you rested. So I take six weeks off in the summer, and then I have another week in the fall, another week in the spring uh, just to go play and, uh, and not go to class, not you know do sermon planning. Like I just got back from Cabo. Uh, uh, and I'm, I just, I'm going to the cabin and, and, and hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesse and the lead team are thriving. Uh, and before I thought I had to be involved in every decision and all that. And it was just too much, just too much. And it's lonely. I was just talking to Adam Weber. Do you know Adam uh, up in Sioux Falls? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a podcast with him earlier this morning and we were talking about, uh, it sounds really awesome and sexy to be the boss and be the lead guy at the top of the food chain or the, or the org chart. It's, it's sometimes it's the loneliest place because, uh, everybody wants a piece of you and that, that's, and, and, and that's what you signed up for. But where do you go? And like, who do you go to? And where are you finding your support? Especially if your whole identity is tied up to the org chart below you. So yeah, it was a rough, rough, rough time. Probably the aha moment. So my, my, one of my best friends, James Henderson, he's a missionary down in Mexico City. I was on a Skype call or a Zoom call with him. And I said, I'm, done. I just, I'm just, I'm done. He goes, well, what? Talk about that. And I said, I feel like I'm in a, in a long, dark tunnel and I look down the tunnel, and all I see is more tunnel. And then every once in a while, I'll see a light. And I'm like, oh, there's the light at the end of the tunnel. But it's not. It's just another freight train coming to run me over again, and then there's mm. just more tunnel. And so James said, like, so why do you think God wants you, is keeping you in that tunnel right now? And I remember, I know where I was, I was sitting on the couch, and I was like, I know what God wants to teach me. I want to control the tunnel. I want to control the sabbatical. I want to control ministry. I want to control flat irons. I'm stomping my foot and telling Jesus to give me my church back. And it's not my church. And that <laughs> wow. was a really, really rough moment where kind of the lights came on. I went like, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention now, God. What do, what do you want? What do you want from me? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think most pastors right now, I did, a, I did a, 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 a retreat for 14 young pastors up at my, at my cabin a few months ago, and the number one thing said, they said that they're, they're, they're all lonely, they're making it up as they go, they feel confident in their preaching and nothing else. Not their leadership, not their marriages, not their parenting, nothing. I can preach and that's all I got. I don't know COVID world, I don't know post-COVID world. I, a lot of the older guys are going, I don't wanna go spend the next five years trying to get my way back to zero. Not when I can go get my real estate license and sell a house in four minutes in Colorado, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, um, they're just, they, it's just, they're looking at going, I don't know how to do church anymore. And I don't know if I want to do church anymore. And um, yeah, it's, it's, that's probably the, some of the top conversations I'm having with other pastors right now. So. Man, there's so much in this that we that we can unpack and okay. dig deeper into. I I just it's such a great story and such a great redemption moment. I love the analogy of it being a death, a burial, and a resurrection as yeah. as the stages of the sabbatical. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think one thing that you said that a lot of a lot of ministry people and you know, particularly production people, um, get into is what you said about the fact that doing it for Jesus somehow made it okay. Right. Like the dysfunctional, the dysfunctional behavior, the cost of relationship, the, the sort of, you know, ramrodding through people or whatever, whatever the case may be. It's like, yeah, but we have to go at this pace and we have to do all this because it's for Jesus. And man, that's such a dangerous thing yeah. to, let yourself sort of fall into because, you know, I, I grew up in a house, my dad was a pastor and I could never in, in, in my mind as a kid, I, I could never feel what I needed to feel about my dad being absent because all of what he was doing was for God, Absolutely. you know, and it's that whole thing. So if you have that in your family and you have that to your staff and you pass that on to the other leaders in the, in the organization, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for stuff to get sideways. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's 
it starts off as such a noble thing, right? It's it's ministry, it's a calling, it's it's about Jesus, and then it just drifts over time and it gets completely out of whack. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, like, how's Robin, my wife, gonna complain? Like, so I've always said this: I've I've never had an affair with a person. <laughs> I have had an affair with the church because she's a sweet mistress, you know. And my mm. wife's had a lot of health problems, you know. It's like I don't know how to fix bipolar. I don't know how to fix migraine headaches. I don't know how to fix uh, epileptic seizures. I don't know how to do that. You know what I can do? I can run a ministry like crazy. And she tells me I'm sweet, and she rewards me and gives me raises. Mm. And and I walk through a lobby, and people tell me how awesome I is. I am. And when I walk home, I get, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do marriage today. I don't know how to do sickness today. I don't know how to, be, how to do financial stress today. I can do ministry. Uh, I, my, probably one of my worst moments of ministry slash marriage was I was packing a suitcase and Robin goes, where are you going? I went, I'm going to India and Kenya for three weeks. She goes, no, I, I, I can't. You can't. And I'm like, I have to. It's my job. And, and she had known about it, but she was in such a place of depression and, and, and all that at the time. And I walked out the door, left my wife with two preschoolers with a migraine headache, bipolar, covers over her head, at, yelling for me to not to go. And I went to India and Kenya for three weeks and baptized mm. a bunch of people. I can't tell you any of their names, by the way. Came home, got a raise, right? And then I had to look my wife in the face. And she's forgiven me. And this was, gosh, 25 years ago or so. Uh, if we bring this story up, it, it gets quiet at my house still. You know, but I know how to do mission trips. I know how to do ministry. I know, you know, you know how to do technology. You're gonna, she's going to tell you you're great. And then you don't have to look at the other parts of life sometimes. And that's, that's a, that's a, you know, you, you said we're doing it for Jesus there. But if you look at the, if you look at the life of Jesus, he, he would be really busy and he'd look at his buddies and go like, we're going to go to a quiet place in the mountains or get in the boat. And let's go to the other yeah. side. And their response was, whoa, 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 there's, still, there's so much to do. Look at this and this. What about this? And, and Jesus would get in a boat. And then he would go off. And like seven times in the Gospels, it says Jesus went off to a lonely place by himself. Uh, one of those times, I think it was right after he fed the 5,000 and his cousin, John the Baptist's head got cut off. So it was a bad week, right? Pretty bad week, <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, it sucked <laughs> a lot of time. So it says he went away for a desolate place. And some people think, some people just look at that and go like, oh yeah, he had a quiet morning. He had a quiet time, you know, with some coffee in the woods with God, right? Some people think that could have been two or three months. Now he only had three years to get it done. And he takes, he takes a, a six, seven weeks and says, I, I just need a breath. Now if Jesus, wow. if Jesus needed a break, a sabbatical, uh, a, a time in a lonely place, just to like, that went, that, that took a lot out of me. I got to regroup because I got a, I got a big run coming then what makes me think that I, I don't need that as well? So I went into sabbatical kicking and screaming. It was the most gracious thing God could have done. And my elders saw that. And uh, it started rough. We could write a book on the worst way to put a guy on sabbatical because we did everything wrong. <laughs> no plan, bad. no plan, no, no, like, except we just want you to get better. And uh, so we found a great counselor after the fact, uh, Harv Powers, and I'd love to pass that information on. He's a sabbatical coach. I didn't even know there were things like sabbatical coaches uh, in both corporate world and in, in church world. He's down in uh, the tech center here in, in, in Denver. Uh, he came into my life. He saved, he's, he came in and started meeting with our elders. And we found out that this place was sick, not just at the lead pastor position, but all the way down through facilities. Our elders were dysfunctional. We didn't have a governance uh, that was working. The staff didn't know the vision or weren't, weren't able to articulate the vision. I had a lead team that was pretty divided. I had one person on the lead team who was very divisive and no longer here. Uh, and all that got exposed. And it was, it was an overhaul, but it would not have happened. I always have this, the saying, leaders go first. And that always sounds really, really great, except when they put you on the altar first and go like, we're going to do surgery on you first. And wow. then but that opened up the door and this place right now, I, it's going to sound cliche, but if not for sabbatical, I don't sure what Flatirons would have survived. I know I wouldn't have. And I know a lot of people have gotten burned. And if I wouldn't have survived the domino effect of a lead pastor going away has a domino effect on so many people. Right. But I can say yep. this is that because everybody involved in sabbatical, myself, the elders, my lead team, 
key staff, because we all leaned in 100%. This, this church, this staff, this culture, this future uh, is, is better and healthier and more united than it's ever been, even when we were growing 20, 25% a year. Which wow, if you would have asked awesome. me that on Memorial Day, I would have said, never gonna happen. Best days are behind us and you guys screwed it up. So Wow. Well, well, the interesting thing is this this conversation is kind of part two of one that we started last week about culture and toxic culture and how things get sideways. And it's it's amazing to me that you just said that none of your staff could really articulate the vision, despite the fact that you were over 20,000. Mm-hmm. So you, somebody might look at it ex- externally and say, well, they've got to be dialed into the vision. Otherwise, they'd never be that large. So it's, it's an interesting perspective to go, in spite of being the size and scope and the scale of everything you guys were doing, there was still this gap where people were working, mm-hmm. doing their jobs, and we're just stuck or spinning wheels or, I mean, talk a little more about that because the, the vision piece, we, we say all the time how important that is for senior leadership all the way down through production, all the way through the staff, you know, for everybody who's executing our environments and our mission Mm -hmm. has to be on board with the vision. Mm -hmm. When that gets sideways or uncommunicated or unclearly defined, you know, even in big places, stuff gets weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I say they, they couldn't articulate the vision, they, everybody has the vision statements memorized. I, I, I just don't believe we were unified on the vision anymore. Uh, hmm. I mean, everybody would say Flatlands is a, is a church for lost and broken people. Well, almost everybody church would say that. We, we really try to, to model it and do our programming and uh, our teaching and stuff around a person that's not familiar with church world a lot. And so, yeah. uh, but, but now you have... As you're as you're hiring new staffs, and everybody wants everybody wants to be a part of a rocket ship, right? So they join a staff that's on a rocket ship ride, and and then they start bringing in their own. I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Like um, I think that we can reach lost and broken people by creating a worship culture, like Elevation or like Hillsong. Is it still okay to say that? Or yeah. like uh, <laughs> I work for them now, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, they change the world, right? So, so like we're, we want to we want to reach lost and broken people through worship evangelism. We want to reach it through discipleship. We want to do it through this, and and then and then you have our world's changing too. And now everything is a social landmine. All right. So now I've got younger staff want to respond to everything about race, everything about guns, everything about gender, everything about COVID, everything about masks, and like and so now we're all going. Well, here's what. And everybody's like wants to be a part of the conversation, and 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 I'm not listening. So that's the other thing is like just do what I told you to do. So I'm people mm-hmm. need to people do need to be heard, right, and valued. Whether you say okay, we're going to go a different way, but I think that our the thing with our culture was not that we weren't united on vision, is that we weren't unified together. We we didn't have a culture of honor. We had a, we had a very divisive. We would call it raw and real because flatters, we're raw and real. We tell it how it is like that. We had a lot of sin in our camp. Like we had a lot of backbiting. We had a lot of backstabbing. We had a lot of, of, of gossip. We had a lot of, we were sick and we just called it raw and real. That's who we are, right? So mm. our, I don't know that people in our church ever felt that. Probably felt me preaching out of more of a, most of my emotions come out of the anger, <laughs> out as anger. So they're probably like, well, Jim's, he's mad today. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I just had a rough week and I'm, I am mad at some people. But I, I think that we realized that we, this is a very, very scary place to work anymore. Yeah. Cause it can turn, there's a fine line sometimes between raw and real and abusive. Yeah. If you're not careful. Oh yeah. And oh, the humor. Yeah. yeah, sarcasm and humor and biting jokes and all that kind of stuff, that can be really dangerous. Right. And when you're at the top of the food chain, you don't feel that because you're you're at the, you're at the top, right? But then you find out that somebody went back to their office and cried or that a lot of our women on staff don't feel safe, you know? Or wow. if you don't agree with Jim's list of hobbies, he doesn't think you're a man. You know, it's like, what? And it's like- Well, that one's probably okay. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't have to agree with them. We're just not going to hang out. But uh, yeah. uh, no, it's like it became a really, really unsafe place. And then 
uh, we had certain staff and leadership that thought that the way that they could build their consensus and their power was to advocate for their for their staff and not for their leaders. So they would, it was like, we could get a consensus here if we all hate Jim or we all hate that yeah. lead team person or we all hate the elders. And, and they could get a real following like that. And then they would call themselves the protector of their staff. And all they did was divide my staff. Now yeah. I had a whole department who felt like they're against the lead team and lead team doesn't care about them or something like that. And that all got exposed during sabbatical. And so when I talk mm. about culture, like our, our staff culture was toxic. And I, I was talking to Jesse DeYoung the other day about this. Uh, I'll probably, anytime I talk about this, I'm probably going to use this, but I, it was kind of like, this is just a few weeks ago and I'm sitting over here on the couch and I look and I went, what did I do wrong? <laughs> like, and I'm like, I want you to put his finger on an event. Remember on that one Tuesday when you did yeah. this, 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 that's why they put you on sabbatical. But there isn't one of those. Yeah. There's, a, there's a hundred of them, right? Uh, of yep. Little ones. And he just looked at me and went, it all happened on your watch, man. And I went, because hmm. this is the truth about leadership that no leader wants to look at is not everything's my fault. It is my responsibility. And I, I just put a hand out and went, I don't want to deal with that. And when you don't want to deal with it, it's like your kids. It's not going to get better on its own. It's just going to take on its own like momentum in its own life. And then eventually you're not going to recognize it. And then when you want to reach out for it, they're just going to duck and run because they have moved on. And that's what I had kind of created here. And yeah. that's the culture. And so like when we came back and put our governance back in, uh, we actually instituted a, a, a kind of a, a revised form of Carver governance, which I love, uh, where we have means and ends and the elders hold me accountable for the ends that they've established for the church for the year. And then I hold lead team and everybody down the chart so for that. But one of the ends that is always going to be on the, the accomplishments of what happens at, at Flatirons is staff health. So we want to have more people come into our, you know, our environments. We want to see more people coming to Christ. We want to see more people involved in spiritual formation. We want to see this, but here's this other one over here, staff health. And how are you, how are you measuring that? And how do we know, you know? And so there's, hmm. there's surveys in there and there's, there's feedback loops in there. And there, there are, uh, there are, uh, focus groups in there. There are, com we, we just took our entire staff, uh, to the orange conference. We flew them out on two airplanes. It cost so much money, rented out a hotel, rented out vans, all that, fed them, you know, every, rented out restaurants, all that, because we knew we have to keep this staff unified. And we, I don't know if I should be proud of this, but we were, our hotel had a fire pit in Atlanta. And so, you know, it was like, and, and uh, at Flatirons, we were okay with uh, moderate drinking. And so we had our bottles out there and we had our cigars out there and, and we were having a great time. I was hanging out with interns and new youth staff and things like that, which blows yeah. their mind. They're like, yeah, you're a pastor and you're hanging out with the interns and the janitors. And I'm like, you guys are fun, okay? And yeah. and like, and then the cops showed up, <laughs> and like, so the cops shut oh, us down. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And so I, I was like, okay. I walked over to the cop and went, I, I get it, I get it. All right, listen, all right, I will shut this down. I'm sorry. And and then the somehow the 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 rumor got out that I that I got in that cop's face and cussed him out, and and it was just a. a what? And so then we had to have a staff meeting going, hey, guys, that didn't happen. And, you know, that's, that was a rumor that happened, but trust me, I'm pro-cop. And I'm, 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 uh, oh, I'm just not going to go up against a cop in Atlanta. I'm just not, okay? <laughs> Especially when he knows who I am. And it's like, but, but that's one of those things that people are still whispering in the halls about. It's like, remember the fire pit in Atlanta? Remember when the cops showed up? It's like, because yeah. we were loud. It was like two o'clock in the morning and we were guilty and we shut it down because... Uh, and then we gave drinks, drinks to the front desk, and they were all happy with it. So it all, it all, it all worked out <laughs> That's well. That's amazing. But, but to me, I we got a couple good tips out of the conference, you know, uh, which is a great conference. Uh, learned some new worship songs, stuff like that. The wind wasn't that. The wind was staff culture, and so we're going to continue to invest heavily in staff culture and communication and 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 development, and uh, because we we our staff has to stay 
stay tight. Um, also, I'm looking again like five years for, before I uh, before I'm out of here. The most uh, I'm working with Sean Morgan. Do you guys know Sean? Oh yeah, I love Sean. Sean. Yeah. Sean's uh, coaching us through the whole succession process, and we know that these next three years uh, are less about succession, about preparing our church, f- the soil for what comes next. And then those next two years is about finding the right person, and God has that person out there. I'm not even worried about that. But uh, I think staff unity, staff communication. And, and if you think that communication is good, it can always get better. And if you think you're getting good feedback, then you probably need to go another step deeper in finding out what that feedback is. And, uh, and that's been a key. We have one of our lead team, her, one, of, one of her job descriptions is staff health. I mean, it's that important that we put it on a, it's a, it's a job description. It is a, it is a measured thing every every year every year and then vision takes care of itself because you're unified that's good yeah uh i want to talk about what you're just saying like what's the one thing i did and it's funny you say that because like over the last i don't know probably six months and it happened again yesterday actually i get in conversations with my friends that are interviewing to come to work at Flatirons, uh-huh. and everybody knows that you went on a sabbatical and in yeah. mega church world like you said sabbatical is bad yeah. right and that means all kinds of different things. Yeah. So they said, well, what did he do? And my version is the same because like, I was with you during the first two months, and then I was with you again in the last two months, which we'll That's talk right. about that. That's and, right. And the first two months, you were pissed, like oh, you yeah. said. It, it, it was like exactly what you said. Like When I get back, I'm here's what I'm going to say to this person, and heads are going to roll. It was like, let's, let's just go shoot a deer, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah. I think I stabbed your sheep with a knife, didn't I? <laughs> you did. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it was a it was the humane way to end the sheep's life. We were we were helping it. Um, uh, but like the the thing at Easter was one of them. Like you were thinking, like why is the worship team so pissed at me? It was like they were supposed to get a choir. They dropped the ball. But when like when I'm hearing that story from you, from Jesse, from other people on the staff, I, even I was like. That's it. You know, it, it, but also like the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Mm -hmm. So for them, that experience could be the same as something else crazy at another place where you're thinking, well, well, let me tell you what's happened to me, you know? So yeah, it's just interesting to hear you. Like there wasn't anything specific. And when I'm telling people like, no, please go work there. It's like the most healthy mega church ever. It's like the opposite of everything you see on the news. Yeah. They're they're always like, well, what's the catch? What's the catch? Yeah. So I I, I say all this to say like, I mean, I'm giving you a compliment here. I really love what you guys do, but at the same time, like, for the tech guy listening to this, yeah, thinking about his own situation, yeah, his pastor may be being a knucklehead or being a jerk, like you were at some point, yeah, but he can't go to his board and say. This guy needs a sabbatical. So what do you do if you're a church staff person and your pastor is a tyrant, but it's your job? Mm, wow. That's like that's like asking like the question, like if you could go back and do it different, like like I always said this, it, what if somebody had come to me before sabbatical and said, we're really worried about you. You're tired and you're exhausted and you're you're a buzzsaw and you're you're not listening and you're angry all the time. I, I would like to say I would have listened, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't know if if I would not have started paying attention without sabbatical happening. I would like, I, here's what would be good though. If they could point back and say, no, we tried to talk to you here and here and here. Remember when, we, when I brought this up here and there's none of that. Yeah. There, there's none of that. And so I, I, if, if I could pinpoint on what I did in my in my in my panic about my own security insecurity around leadership and my need to prove that I'm enough and that I can do this i i became a freight train and anybody that got in the way of me was going to really get demoralized right i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't punch them but i would let them know their place in the food chain and it's not it's not up here so you would say in, in so many words, I built this place. You're working for me. Go do yeah, your job. I would never say that out loud, yeah. 
but they yeah. got it going, dude, you, you're, you don't even exist without me. You don't have a campus. Don't call it your campus. You don't have a campus. If I didn't go raise your money, raise your this, this, all your food, right, right, pay your bills, blah, blah, blah. You're bleeding money from us. So you don't tell me my campus, right, right? That's that's so unhealthy. It's not my church, yeah. right? But that's what they would have gotten from me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to the to the to the young leader out there who's saying, okay, I I work for a guy who's like whatever that is. One is never do it in in the, never do it on a weekend <laughs> never do it right before he's going to preach never do it before right or where they're going to lead worship yeah right exactly don't you got to pick your moment and then you have to go in and as a learner and here's what i mean it's like like i don't i don't do well if you put your finger in my chest and 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 you make me explain myself to you okay it's just not going to go well all right, or if you if you ask me why did you make that decision or something like that, I, I'm a, my defenses are going to come up, okay. But again, and this has to be at a really carefully chosen moment, usually in private, not calling me out in the middle of a room. But the three of the three of the best words I've found, especially in speaking to, I, I was going to say to a leader, but to anybody. Or is this word, help me understand. Hey, help me understand why we decided to do that. Or help me under, help me understand why we did that. Because I thought we had an agreement around that. Or help me understand why uh, Thursday it was blue, but now it's it's red. I'm, it's, I'm sure there's an, an explanation, in other words, right? So I'm yeah. not like, mm-hmm. you're not going, hey, Jim, why'd you lie again? Why'd you switch the service on us again the last minute? Or like, right. why, you know, why, why are you playing that card all the time? Why are you you know, pulling, you know, you know, change, change, change. Like, like hey, help, help me understand what changed. And then, I, then, I, then I'll understand. Or, and then follow that with, uh, that makes sense. Can I, do I, can I have an ask? Hey, when you do that next time, can you just let me know? And here's why. Because as a, as a leader, a lot of times, and you guys, you guys are tech world guys. When I say, hey, I want to shoot a video, or hey, I want to move this song from this spot to this spot, and there's whole, there's tracks involved, and there's lyric, lyric you know, yep. things involved, stuff like that, all I'm saying is switch the song. I don't realize that there are computer programs yep. and, and tracks and, and triggers and... Uh, yep. All these that have to move around. I don't know what I'm asking for. So then when I find out that you're upset I want to switch a song, you're just a trite little kid. I switched a song. What's the big deal? No, we reprogrammed for four hours because (laughs) you had an idea last minute that would have been easy if you had given it to us Tuesday. Right? So I don't understand. I don't understand what it takes to put on a, a weekend service at Flatirons, all right? I just, for the first time last week, turned on the auditorium lights. Yay! Yeah. Not, the, <laughs> not the lights on the stage. The house lights. The house lights, all right? And all it, by yourself? And it was the third try. <laughs> I, I was <laughs> by myself. I, I'm picking up some little bit of sarcasm there, but yeah, because I wanted to show the church to some family that was into town. And I, I said, I think it's this one. I think it's this one. And then it came on. I'm like, ha And then I didn't know how to turn them off. So they're still on as far as I know. But, yeah. uh, but it's like, I don't know what I'm asking. Yeah. When, because the other thing is my teams are so good. My musicians are so good. My, my, my tech people, my audio people, my, my, all those people. They're so good, they make it look easy, right? But that would be yeah. like them saying, can you change the th- third point on your sermon? Like between services is like, that's not how we do it. But it look, you just make it look easy, Jim. Right. So I think that for a guy out there, a girl out there who's going, hey, listen, my leader is wearing me out with because he keeps doing this or she keeps doing this, is pick your moment and and also... Here's, here's a big thing in the honor culture here is don't jump over leaders to the next leader to, to, till you find one that'll get your way, okay? Like, because if, 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 yeah. if one of my tech guys comes in here and, I, and says, hey, I have a problem with this, my, my first thing is, did you talk to Bryce or did you talk to Paul? Yeah. 
all right? Mm -hmm. Don't jump over because it used to be whoever can get in Jim's office gets the toys, right? And so yeah. I've, I've had to learn the discipline of pointing people back to their leaders. But if, if people have followed the right chain of command and their leader's like, yeah, either I'll go find that out for you or yeah, I'll go with you or yeah, my blessing to go is help me understand because this is different than what I thought. And either I'm, I'm wrong or I just need to change my expectations. And then then make an ask. Hey, moving forward, I have an ask. And I remember Andy Stanley saying this one time, uh, like with what he's taught his kids is uh, when he tells them to do something, like, hey, clean your room, the answer needs to be, yes, sir, dad, I have a question. So obedience or following leadership is not, is, I'm going to follow, okay? So... So, so, hey, mow the yard. Yes, sir, dad. Help, can, I, can I ask a question? What is? So I know I normally mow the yard today, but we had a conversation yesterday where you said I can mow it Monday because I'm going to a ball game. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Okay. So the answer is yes, I'll mow the yard. Can, can we have a little bit more conversation around this? Because the answer is yes. So I'm not yeah. saying I may or may not mow the yard, okay? So it's the same thing with I'm, I, I may or may not play the song. I may or may right. not change the video, okay? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll get it done. Can I ask a question? Because I now have to call four people in from out of town. One guy's on vacation. That video is already in the, in the hopper, right? And I'll get it done, but it, it, the cost is a lot. Do you still want to make that call? And then I'll be like, no, don't go cancel <laughs> vacations. It's like, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was like you just drag it over there yeah. and it's like, yeah. So, yeah, so, so I, good. I have to be a learner too as a leader, but just like you can't, I can't assume that what you do is like magic and you just make it happen. Don't assume that I know what it takes to, to track a song or to, to track a video with lyrics and, and to do, you know, whole walls of video and things. I don't know. You make it look so easy. I just figure you just do it. I don't yeah, realize. It's, it's as easy as turning the house lights on, right? Yeah. It's. It's like you turned it on. It's it's there. Yeah. So that's yeah. communication again, right? It comes back to, hey, you just got to communicate because I, I just assumed this. Well, I assumed this. Well, if we would have known that, then none of this would have been a problem. So yeah. that's what I would coach a young leader. And to the leader who ever thinks about coming to a, a, a rocket ship church or flat irons or whatever that is, if you're listening out there, it would be this. Ask that kind of question, right? Yeah. It's like, I... I submit to leadership, right? I submit to my elders. I'll submit to my, to my lead team person. I'll submit to my, my department head, all that kind of stuff. What's the, at Flatirons, how does one resolve conflict? That's a mm. great interview question. And if yeah, they look back question. at you and go like, you just do what we tell you to do, then don't or go Or we there. don't have any conflict. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we don't have any conflict. We do have 30% turnover, but we have no conflict, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Those are, I think those are good interview questions going, conflict will inevitably come up, and I've seen it done well, and I've, I've seen it done really poorly. Like, when, when I have a question or, or uh, a concern about something we're doing, what's, how do I address that here? Or if I'm doing something wrong, how, how can I expect it to be addressed in my direction? You know, am I going to be written up on a 90 day and that's the first time I've ever heard about it? Or like, what's, yeah. those are great interview questions that a healthy organization should be able to answer. That's awesome. That's really good. Um, I have a plane to catch, but can we do this again? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do I, it. There, there's still so much more. But the last thing I want to, I want to talk about is what you were saying in your last two months of sabbatical was this is, it's not my church. Right. And, your last two months, I came to your cabin and I spent a week in there. Yeah. And I was in the middle of some turmoil at the church I was at. Mm -hmm. And I was actually trying to figure out if I should quit then. I was considering to come and working for you guys at Flatirons. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I, I told you, no, I need to stay and see through this turmoil we were in. Because I need to help my team. Mm -hmm. And you looked at me, and I'm crying like a baby, and you said, Lee, it's not your church. Yeah. It's, and it's going to be fine without you. Yeah. It changed my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't do what you said. Yeah. I stayed. Yeah. 
for yeah. longer than I should have. Yeah. But it still changed my life. And thank you for that. Yeah. And I'm slowly picking off a whole bunch of people from that from your former <laughs> yeah. church. They're yeah. slowly making their way out here. And I just thank you for for that. No, it's there's I think a lot of times, and I, I know you gotta run when we feel like we have to stay and save something, it's more about us than the thing we're saving. It gives us a savior complex. We do it with our kids all the time. We bail them out, right? Because it mm-hmm. makes us feel good. We rescue people and it's about us. And it's not, this This church is not about us, right? It's about Jesus and it's his. Now we have a responsibility to steward it well and do everything we can. But when we think that if if I don't do this, if I don't save this church, then then it's finished, you should you should probably put your resignation in there because you think that you are dual savior with Jesus at that point. And that yeah. that is a one person job and it's been filled and you ain't it. So uh yeah. Man, I know that's gonna preach to somebody who's listening right now. Yeah. I just that that's such a huge deal. Yeah. I never thought and I'm saying this in real time, just being vulnerable. I never thought I had issues with identity until today, 45 mm-hmm. minutes ago. <laughs> when you when you told this story about you and you said it wasn't my church and it was it was an identity thing. When you told me that at the cabin, I didn't think about it as an identity thing. I just thought it was a mistake, but I think you're right. And even now, like I tell people, I wish I was still there in some ways. I wish I could go back and hmm. insert in some ways. Hmm. And I think I need to sort through that. I think I have part of my identity is still wrapped up with that team. Yeah. And I, you'll always have that. You'll always have part of Flatirons and Jim, I don't know where one starts, one stops. All right. I mean, I've had that conversation several. It takes on your personality. It takes on, other than your family, you spend more time invested in this than anything else in your life. So to say that it's, I'm not being flippant when I go like, it's not my identity. It's a huge part of my life. Yes. Right. It's, 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 it's one of the, one of the loves of my life. It's just down further on the list than it used to be. All right. So I, I don't think that I'm, I'm being flippant by going, I can take or leave flat irons. It's not my identity. Oh, the day that I step off that stage for the last time, you know, as yeah. the lead pastor, it's going to be a very emotional day. Right. Yeah. But you yeah. know what? Others are, but it's still a good day. A very emotional day is when my, my kids got married or when they went off to college or when they moved out of the house. It's like very emotional day. Right. But it had to happen and right. it needed to happen. It's a great happen. day in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. If your kids still live in your basement in their 30s, you know, because they don't <laughs> know how to live outside of your house, that's, that's a problem. You didn't, you didn't do your job. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, and a lot of people do. Their identity is their kids, and they can't let go of their kids. A lot of identity is their is their job, and and it's your job. It's your ministry too, all right. But there's part of it going. This is a job that I need to go home from now, and and do my calling. That's be husband and, and dad and, and and whatever you know and friends. So, um, and I didn't know how to turn that off because that's that's. All I knew, that's the identity part. So I am not the wow. savior. I'm not the savior of this place. Jesus is. And I, I work for him. And uh and it's it's good. It's better than it ever has been. So yeah, and I'm sixty. So good. I'm sixty and I'm loving ministry as much or more than I ever have in my life. So yeah. Dude, let's, you're do, awesome. let's, let's do I it again. You, man. I love you too. Let's, I want to come back to your cabin. Deal. Deal. All right. I'm getting. I'm getting ready to. I'm outfitting my whole cabin property right now so I can do retreats for 40, 40 people at a time. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be kind of like glamping outfitter tent. Uh, yeah. With gourmet food and, and fine uh, oh, and man. fine beverages. Let's, <laughs> let's give a shout out. You're doing a men's camping outdoor retreat. No, no, it's called Rocky Mountain Men's Summit. It's August. Okay. 20th. Rocky Mountain Men's Summit, August 26th, 27th, 28th. Uh, I've rented out. Uh, this is me kind of going out on my own this isn't a flattering thing it's me because i want to do men's ministry for the rest of my life yeah but uh it's a uh, at fraser colorado it's the young life uh camp i've rented that out uh registration is actually going to open tomorrow uh if you go to jimbergen.com uh there'll be a link there and you can get on the the list uh, it's going to fill it fast i got i got matt chandler coming i got uh Mark uh, denver former navy seal commander we got Brad Lominick coming. I've got some really great guys teaching about leadership and ministry, and and uh, it's, it's just going to be a great three days. Dude, that's awesome. Can I come for just that's a awesome. day? Yeah, come on. 
Absolutely. Come on out. Jeff, Jeff, let's go. Let's do it. I'm all in. All right. We'll save you two spots. All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure. I can't wait to talk again. Yeah. This is such a great conversation. I know people are going to walk away with a lot of good, good. nuggets. Good. So thanks so much for being here right. and can't wait to do it again. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, guys. See you.